uh, to turn with me to the book of Genesis, and I'm going to do my best to tell the story of of person we don't talk a whole lot about, the story of Ishmael, and I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Genesis chapter 21, and uh, I want to uh, 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 preach to you kind of a simple thing. It, it, it says in, uh, in, in the book of, of Ishmael, uh, book of Ishmael, book of Genesis chapter 21 concerning Ishmael, verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, an Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, saying, or laughing. And so she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Before the end of today, we'll show you a few other places that uses perhaps some of that same language. But I want to preach to you this. Ishmael has to go. Ishmael has to go. And I want you to pray that you would let the word of God speak to you in the name of Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for each and every one that's been able to gather here today. And I pray that we have fulfilled and and worshipped you not enough, not all you deserve, but everything we can give you up to this point. And Lord, would you speak now to each and every soul that's here. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And you can be seated. The Bible is full of analogies. The Bible is full of, uh, you, you can't just take the story at face value. You need to dig deep. Not that you can't understand it easily, but dig deep and see how everything plays and falls together. And you understand that God spoke to Abraham. God called Abraham out of his hometown, and he said, I'm calling you. I've got something for you. I want you to leave where you are. I want you to leave your comfort zone. I want you to leave your family, and I'm calling you to go to a land we would call the promised land or Canaan's land. At this point, and I'm going to try to give you the chronology of it, so hopefully you can follow with me. Abraham is 75 years old. Now, in today's day and age, 75 would be considered, and, and, and I don't mean this by any offense, I'm talking about just in the general uh, uh, lifespan of the average person, 75, you're in the twilight years of your life. You're, you're, that, that's when everything's beginning to wind down, but if you look at how long Abraham was alive, that's maybe he was just winding up. God said to Abraham, said, not only do I want to call you out and bring you to this land of Canaan, this land of promise, but I want to make of you a great nation. I promise you descendants. I'm promising you that your seed and your generations will span until I return. It's, it's there, but Abraham probably thought, well, this is good, 75 years old, start a family, and I thought me and my wife were crazy for having a child that you know, the ripe old age of uh, about 38, but um, can you imagine 75 years old and starting a family? But they were ready. They were waiting for the promise. Ten years goes by. Ten years where they know what God has said. They know the promise. They know a child is coming. But ten years have happened and there is no child. 
And so it is that if you begin to look there in the Word of God, and now I would invite you, if you want to kind of follow with me, we'll be in Genesis chapter 16. Sarah, for for whatever reason, looks within herself and says, you know, I can't have children. So God obviously needs some help. So Abraham, I have this Egyptian servant named Hagar. Why don't you take her and perhaps with that union you could conceive a child. And I will tell you that legally that would have been okay in that day and time. Legally that was uh, an accepted practice. But just because something is legal doesn't mean it's God's will, God's plan, or God's desire. And so I think that you need to understand that just because there's always going to be people that ask you those questions. You know, the, the question is like, well... How come the the patriarchs, Abraham, the man, the the father of faithful, how come he had multiple wives? Well, it was legal back then, but that doesn't make it right for God. Just because patriarchs and people in the Bible, uh, just because they did things that were wrong, yet somehow God blesses them, doesn't bless what they did wrong. Just in case anybody asks you those questions, you know how to answer. And so at 85 years old, Sarah becomes impatient And she says, God's prevented me from bearing children. I find that turn of phrase very interesting because it's the exact opposite of the promise. I'm going to hit a lot of different things today, but I do have a a, a place I want to end up. But if you get something just on the side note, take it and accept it. But too many times in our life, we hear the promise of God, and then somewhere in the midst of that, we start saying, well, God's preventing it from happening. That is the exact opposite of a promise. If God makes a promise to you, whether it takes one year, five years, ten years, or fifty years, you need to understand God's going to do it, and never once is God going to prevent what he wants to do. And so now, Hagar, or rather, uh, Sarah is operating not on faith, But she begins to operate on on, on cynicism. She begins to operate on on doubt and fear. And she takes uh, actions into her own hands. And she says, tell you what, go into my servant and maybe I can obtain children by her. I don't know how you read the Bible, but you can look right now in my Bible and I'm going to write things all over because I'm, I'm seeing the futility. I'm seeing the irony of Sarah saying, well, God's not going to give me children, so I will get my children from an Egyptian slave. Anybody else see that irony? The God of all creation, the God that, that knows, the God that forms, and you doubt that he can do it, but you're willing to let the promise, so to speak, come through a Egyptian slave. Maybe I'm stretching it just a bit. But last day or two, I begin to wonder, where did Hagar come from? Now, we know Hagar is an Egyptian. We understand that. But where did Hagar come from? And I'm convinced that perhaps they picked Hagar up when God called Abraham out of his land, out of Ur of Chaldees, and said, I want you to go to Canaan's land, and and that's where I'm going to put you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply your offspring. Be there, and then the Bible says a famine comes. And what does Abraham do? He vacates the promised land, and he goes down to Egypt, and he picks up a slave girl by the name of Hagar. All throughout the Bible, there are symbolic 
connections. And, and, and I think that if the Bible does it, it's okay for us to do it. we got to be very careful. We don't try to uh, see a devil behind every bush or this or, or that. But if the Bible equates Egypt to the world, if the Bible equates Egypt to uh, our carnalness and our fleshly desires, then I think you need to understand that Abraham had no business going down to Egypt when God had called him to a promised land. In fact, there's a whole nother sermon that could be preached and maybe one day I'll get it all together how many times God's people went to Egypt for sustenance when they could have just, should have just trusted God. Every time they go to Egypt, they get in trouble. Every time they go to Egypt, something happens. Abraham and Sarah sojourn to Egypt. Maybe this will save us from the famine and they go to Egypt. And what's the first thing that Abraham does? Hey, Pharaoh... This isn't my wife, this is my sister. There's something about Egypt that causes you to quit trusting God. There's something about Egypt that causes you to get your eyes focused on a different direction. And they picked up a lady by the name of Hagar. Abraham listened to the voice of his wife Sarah. He got his eyes off the promise as well. And he goes into Hagar and there a child is born. I want to link a verse to you. In fact, I want to, I want to ask you to turn there because I want you to see it as well. Would you turn to the book of Romans chapter 14? You know how there's these verses that if you've read the Bible, then you know you've read every, every verse in the Bible. You get that. You understand it. But I'm always finding a verse that maybe didn't jump out to me or maybe I didn't connect with it when I first read it. But man, as I begin to study the story of Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac and Sarah and Abraham, I was amazed at how this verse fits so perfectly because at the very end of Romans chapter 14, and I'm just reading, if you will, I'm just going to read this very last portion of that scripture, it says this, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Hmm. Romans, Paul begins to tell us that that if God has caused you to walk by faith and not by sight, the moment that you get outside of that faith, the moment that you begin to not look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and instead you begin to look to uh, other ways and other means of satisfying the requirements that you need, when you start walking by sight and not by faith, my Bible tells me it's sin. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He goes to Hagar and she conceives. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked upon or looked with contempt upon her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. Again, the irony of it. Sarah goes, It's your fault that my handmaid now has conceived. And then her very next statement is. I gave my servant to you to embrace. It was Sarah that had brought it up. It was Abraham that finished the course. And now it is. And she sees that, that, that th this child that's going to growing inside of Hagar. And Sarah is mad. Sarah is hurt. She doesn't understand it. She's looking with contempt and probably both ways. And it's fighting and it's, it's messing with each other. And they're, they're constantly arguing. And can you imagine in that home, first off, I can't imagine living with two wives. 
I know Hagar technically wasn't a wife, but she really was. I can't imagine living with two wives. That in and of itself would be chaotic. I'm sure my wife, thanks, Sister Buford, I see you stick your head in here. I'm sure my wife would say the same thing. Living with two husbands would be chaotic. So I'm not trying to be just a male chauvinist pig. But I have a female daughter and I have a female wife, which is a good thing. And, and, and sometimes that's chaotic. But can you imagine it when it's not of God? And can, can I just, like I said, I got so much that I want to just kind of push towards you. And could I remind you what James says in uh, the, the book of, of James chapter 4, what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not because you don't ask. And I know some of that is speaking, speaking spiritually, and I know some of that is speaking uh, of relationships within the church body. But can I just tell you that when you are outside the will of God, that there is going to be turmoil and there is going to be grief and there's going to be fighting and contempt anywhere you're outside the will of God. Are you back, Brother Matthew, are you back? You're back on live stream, right? Okay, good. Please, somebody find it and tell my mom that I love my mom. I know y'all think I always just bash my mom, but I love my mom with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Somebody please tell her that. But I can point to, as a teenager, we're always going to have those moments where we argue and we, we, we're at kind of a conflict with our parents. It's part of the growing process. The teenager, the young adult is, is learning and they're growing and they're getting more uh, independence, but yet they're still at home with mom and dad. And So you're always going to have that friction. I get that. But I can tell you right now, and I, I wouldn't want to because I would have to admit some dark sins in my own life, but I could show you that every time that I was outside God's will, every time that I was in a sinful place, I could go right back and show you in the kitchen where I would yell and scream and me and my mother would be at odds against each other. It's because of what James says. When you're outside the will of God, there's friction, there's chaos, and, and Abraham and Sarah and Hagar are fighting Abraham acquiesces. It's the wrong thing. Abraham did everything wrong in this story, in this part of it. First off, he, he listened to his wife, and I don't mean that quite as harsh as I just, <laughs> it comes out of my mouth and whoops, I'm dead. Can you erase that and let's start all over? Husbands, listen to your wives. Probably 99.9% .9 of the time they're right. Listen. But let me back you up to the Garden of Eden. You know what, you know what Adam's first problem was? When Eve was deceived and Eve said to Adam, Adam, well, let, let's eat of this. Adam should have put a stop to it right there. I'm not talking about male or female. I'm not talking about chauvinist. I'm talking about Adam should have said, should have stepped up and said, no, God said this isn't what we should have done. And maybe the lineage of humanity would have been a little bit different if Adam would have, have said, no, we're going to stop right here. Eve, if you've taken a bite, find a place of forgiveness. Do whatever it takes. And Abraham's in the same boat. Abraham listens to the false report of his wife. His wife says, do this. Maybe we can help God out. He should have realized, hey, God gave me a problem. 
And so it is that he listens to his wife, he listens to the voice, and and then when when Ishmael is born and 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 they're fighting and it's just all this chaos, the home is a wreck, and 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 finally Sarah is is just constantly berating Abraham, do something with her, do something with her. And Abraham again vacates his place of authority as the head of the household, and he says, uh, I don't want to touch it, you do whatever you want to do with it. Sarah, she's mad, she's vindictive She kicked Hagar out Hagar would have died in the wilderness If it wasn't for God's protection And God's uh, uh, blessing on it So finally God brings Hagar back There's a son And so it is at 86 Hagar's pregnant We call him Ishmael When Abraham is 99 years old God comes back and affirms the promise I'm going to give you a son now it seems that not only is, is, is Sarah the one that cannot produce any children, but now the understanding is Abraham is too old to produce children. Could I tell you for just a moment, and I realize that I'm going to be very uh, uh, symbolic and, and allegorical, but you'll understand in a minute that Galatians makes some of these same allegorical statements. Galatians uh, uh, pulls back to the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac, and begins to tell us of our own spiritual journey, but can I help you for just one moment? There are many times in God's life that God wants to wait until you're dead, not, not physically dead, not six feet under, but God wants to wait until it's not going to be you that can claim any glory. God wants to wait until you're not going to be able to say, well, look what I did. And so sometimes he has to allow your flesh to get to a place where it's dead and there's nothing more that can come. And then comes the promise and the miracle. Sarah could have said, my body's not producing. I can't, I can't have children. But obviously Abraham was still able with Sarah. So Abraham could have said, it's me. God chose to wait till Abraham was 100 years old. When the biological clocks had not only stopped ticking, but they were not even moving and perhaps they were dusty. Now Sarah is expecting. A little boy is born. Isaac, it means laughter. And if you thought it was bad enough when you had Hagar and Sarah in the same room, now you've got Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael, and Isaac. Isaac would have been about three years old, 103 years old. It's when it's customary for the Jews in that time to wean their children. And the Bible says in Isaac, Isaac chapter, in Genesis chapter 21 and verse uh, 8, and you can go and see it. He says that they weaned Isaac. And, and Sarah comes to Abraham and says, it's not right. I saw Ishmael mocking and laughing at, at, at Isaac and I'm done, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And so I want to invite you to turn with me now to the book of Genesis chapter 21. It's where we started our sermon. It's where we started our verse. That Abraham, Sarah tells Abraham, cast out this slave woman. Now, Abraham was displeasing. He didn't want to do it. It is his son as well. It's his, it's, uh, Ishmael was his as well. And, and, and he's going to do it. But God begins to speak to him. And says, look, I know that, that, that Ishmael is your own flesh and blood. I get that. But let me just help you out, Abraham. E- even though you need to send him away, I'm still going to be with him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch him. There's going to be some blessings on him just because he is your son, even if it was the wrong way to go about it. But I need you to do this. 
I need you to get up early in the morning, make sure they've got provisions, and I need you to give it to Hagar, and I need you to send her away. Isaac, or or rather Abraham, Ishmael, has to go. The the reason is far greater than just uh, family dynamics. The reason is far greater than just simply, you know, two women in one household and two children. It's more than all of that because in order to understand it, you've got to find yourself in Paul's writings in Colossians, or Galatians rather, and I want to ask you to turn there with me to Galatians chapter 4. If you'll give me just a few more minutes on this Memorial Day, I want to show you why in our own lives Ishmael has to go. In, in Paul's writings, now a lot of this is dealing with Jew, uh, uh, Jews that have been born again. They've been filled with the Holy Ghost. They've been baptized. But they have this tendency to want to go back to the law. They have this tendency to, to say, you know what, if we'll just follow the legalistic things of the law, then we'll be okay. They're called Judaizers. And, and today I don't have time to preach a message on Judaizers. I feel that sometime very soon we're going to do a study on the whole book of Galatians and we'll be able to look at that in depth. But I want to point out something to you. Paul begins to write in verse 22 of Galatians chapter 4 that it was written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh And the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Again, I I could take you, and and if if you're reading past where I stopped, you'll find that they equate uh, uh, Ishmael to Mount Sinai and the law that was given. And they equate Isaac to uh, the law of Christ and the freedom we have through his spirit. And and I don't mean to to, to get away from that. I, I think it's truth, but it's that point. The one was born of the flesh. The other... Born of the Spirit. And if you continue to read in verse 28, it says, Now you brothers like Isaac are children of the promise, but just at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Here's the New Testament of this. What does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son or not inherit with the son of the free woman so brothers you are not the children of the slave but you are children of the free woman listen to me very carefully i believe this is so important when it comes to our spiritual life you cannot exist within yourself this home that we would call our life you cannot have the flesh and the spirit coinciding you cannot have the carnal and the spirit coinciding. I would take you back. I have preached number, numerous messages and alluded to it. I would take you to Paul's uh, uh, struggle in Romans chapter 7. When he talks about the struggle of the flesh and the struggle of the spiritual. When I want to do good, when I want to do what's right with God, my flesh battles I'm pretty confident we all have been there. When I talk about flesh, just so we're all on the same page, I'm not talking about the skin. That's not the flesh I'm talking about. 
the flesh is the fallen nature that we get from Adam and Eve that every one of us has been born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Now no longer do our minds naturally go to God, but naturally they go to what is wrong. Again, case in point, do you tell your kids how to lie? No. Did you teach your kids how to be rebellious? No. They learn it on their own. With little Zeke, almost two, and his personality and his vocabulary growing, I'm amazed at how easily it is for him to tell me no. I understand partly that's a word he knows, but you can watch as he grows the way he uses that, and you can realize that even at a young child, he will look you in the eye and say, no. I remember the first time my kids truly lied to me. I never taught them how to do that. It's in our nature. And you can't have the flesh and the carnal coinciding and cohabitating with the spiritual. In fact, it was Paul that said at the end of chapter 7, he, he compared living with the flesh, living with the carnal, he compared it to a Roman torture called the body of death or the body of this death. And it was where they would take a prisoner, usually a political prisoner or a traitor or a deserter, and they would take a a, a person and they would tie upon them limb to limb, leg to leg, sometimes face to face. They would bind a dead body with that living person. I don't think the living person could walk very easily, but the understanding was the living person could do whatever he wanted to do, but he couldn't get free of that dead body. And what happens is, as that dead body began to decay, the decay of the dead body was so powerful that it would decay the living body until the living body died of the decay from the dead. Yeah, it's gross. Yes, it's nasty. And Paul found the grossest, nastiest, most horrendous thing to describe what it's like to try to live with your flesh while trying to live free with God's Spirit. He says it can't be done. And sometimes you and I, we have to look within our life and we have to point our bony finger in the mirror and say, flesh, you've got to go. There's not room in this house anymore for the carnal. There's not room in this house anymore for the sensual. There's not room in this house anymore for the flesh. You've got to go. I can't live with you any longer. This is the curse of modern Christianity. Modern Christianity says you can coexist. Let, Brother Keith, have you ever tried not to preach something but you just keep coming back to it? Let me tell you why the law and legalism is bad, okay? The law, on the, on, if you'll, I mean, i got to put this in the most simplest terms I can for, for time's sake. The law was just simply a list of do's and don'ts, and you could check it off. I like check-off lists. I've told you, Sister Buford, if you'll just give me a check-off list, I will make sure I do it. I'll procrastinate, but I'll make sure I do it. But I'll probably walk by the dirty dishes a hundred times because I don't have a checkoff list. I'm just being, I'm, 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 I'm confessing my faults one to another. 
So they had a checkoff list. And, and you would think that if you have a checkoff list, it's very easy. Okay, I can't wear any clothes that has wool and, and cotton fibers connected. There's a lot of that in the Old Testament. I, I can't eat catfish because it doesn't have scales. I'd have failed already. I can't eat crawfish because it craw- I'd have done failed. A lot of us would have fall, failed. I can't eat rattlesnake. I can't eat buzzard. You know, I, I, I have to wash my hands. You know, there's this law. Check it off. But, but the Bible teaches us that you cannot, it's impossible for us to, to follow the law. They, they tried, and they, and they failed miserably. And then what they did, instead of trying for the Ten Commandments, they made 600 extra commandments, and they couldn't follow those either. Let me tell you why legalism and, and the law is bad. Because Ishmael, who we, 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 we categorize as the law, it would have been easy for him to look the part and check off a list and and do all of the rights and the wrongs, but he would not have been right with God. He may have looked like he was right with God, but he wasn't right with God. And so that's why you cannot allow the carnal nature to get covered up by a little bit of, uh, 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 you know, know, paint it up, make it look good, do whatever you got to do, put a mask on it. You can't do that. The carnal will like to hide in the legality. Carnal said, I'll just come to church and clap my hands every little bit. Everybody think I'm okay. The carnal says, you know what, I'll show up on a Sunday night and and, and I'll have my Bible in my hand and everything will be okay. The carnal says, you know what, if I dress a certain way, if I act a certain way, but Jesus tells us through his word, he looks you in the eye and he says, there's no way you can dress up the carnal. There's no way that you can get the carnal to ever be accepted. Sometimes you just got to look at it and say, Ishmael, you have to go. You got to go. There's no room. I can't live this life anymore. There's three things that Abraham could have done with Hagar and Ishmael. Number one, he could have tried to change them, and that would fail. For John chapter 3 and verse 6 says this, For that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is And those two cannot coexist. Why is the new birth so important? Why do I preach it? Why do I believe it? Why do I teach you must be born again? Because there is no other way for that which is born of the flesh to ever inherit anything that is spiritual. And so the only way for this carnal, fleshly man to ever get what God has is there must be a new birth experience that gets me out of the flesh and allows me to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. And then when I'm born again, I can have that. So one thing Abraham could have done is tried to change, but you can't change the flesh. I guess Abraham could have got a hold of Hagar and Ishmael and give them a whole list. I don't want you making fun of Sarah. I don't want you making fun of Isaac. I don't want you to look at him. He could have given them a whole list. We're going back to the law. I don't want you to be in the same room as each other. We'll we'll divide it up. I'll be with you this day and I'll be with them that day. He could have tried to change. He could have tried to force them to change. Or he could have tried to educate them to change. But you can't change the old nature and the old flesh. You could try to compromise. This is where Abraham tried. For a while he tried to compromise. I can live 
together. I, I mean, no, they're not going to change. Isaac is not going to change, and Sarah's not going to change, and Ishmael and Hagar, they're not going to change. But can't we just all get along? It's the bane of modern Christianity. Listen to me very carefully. No, we can't just all get along because the carnal and the spiritual the Bible says to be to, to the, the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is in, in its own, I mean, everything it is, is an affront to God. It's an enemy against God. They cannot coexist. So you can't change them. And you can't compromise with them. So the only thing left to do is you got to cast them out. You've got to look that him in the eye and say the spiritual has come. The new birth has come. Jesus has come. And the old man has to leave. And I want to remind you and I want to take you in Galatians down to chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I hope you turn with me because... One of the things that I love to do as, pre, as pastor and preaching is I want to I connect the verses together. Maybe, maybe you don't read a whole lot in Galatians about what we just read, the, you know, the, 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 the spiritual son of Isaac versus the legalistic carnal flesh side of, Hagar, of Ishmael. But I know you've read this. How about verse 16? Of Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If I had to sum up my sermon in one sentence or two sentences, that's it right there. But you are led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, or the works of the flesh are these, and it goes on to list a whole lot of things, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality, and idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you that if you do these, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What are these? What the flesh wants to do. The works of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. And against such there is no law. I challenge you, go do a little study. It may not be word for word, but go do a little study and you'll find that for every work of the, of the flesh, as horrible as it is, there is a, a opposite work of the Spirit. If the work of the flesh is to get mad and get angry, then the work of the Spirit is love or peace. You can't have it both ways. The Bible says that a fountain can't give forth bitter water and sweet water at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. And so Ishmael, you have to go. And then it goes on to say at the end of that, that portion of Scripture, it goes to say, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I want to walk with Him. 
You can't have it both ways. In fact, the Bible says no man can serve two masters. You either love one and hate the other or you hate one and love the other. Just can't happen. And so you can't try to change your flesh. You can't compromise with your flesh. All you can do is cast it out, tell it to leave. Ishmael, you got to go. I want to invite you to stand today. I'm not going to bring us back to the scripture, but if you would go back to where Abraham cast out Ishmael. Go back to that, that chapter and read it. And you won't find Ishmael's name mentioned. Because when the spiritual is born, they don't mention the carnal anymore. It will say, and, 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 and go, go look it up. It will say, Hagar's son, the son of the slave, the son of the woman, his name is not mentioned. Because when you're born again, when you're born of the Spirit, there's no way we want to even remember the old fleshly past. One of the problems that we have is we don't learn to kind of just banish it and drop it. If Abraham would have said, or if God would have told Abraham, you need to go and you need to cast out Ishmael. You need to throw him out of the tent. You need to banish him. Well, Abraham would have said, but God, that's, that's my son. That's, that's my flesh. How can I do that? God said, I'm not going to even give you a, way, a reason to remember it. That's the slave's son. That's the flesh son. So you today, you need to just get a different vocabulary. Ishmael's gone. The flesh is gone. There's nothing in that that I desire. There's nothing in that that I want. That carnal, sinful man that I used to be, I don't even want to remember him. The only thing I want to remember is I once was lost in sin. But Jesus took me in. The only thing I want to remember is I once was dead in my sin and trespasses. But now through the Spirit I have new life. That's the only thing I want to remember. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Ishmael, you got to go because the carnal and the spiritual can't coexist. I wonder if you'd lift your hands across this building and as they begin to sing for a moment, you need to look in your life and you need to see what's still there moving. You need to look at your life and you need to see what it is that is still being, being spoken of and talked about. Do you still have the, the name of Ishmael being talked about or... Have you truly let the old man pass away? Behold all things, they've become new. So Lord, I pray right now for each and every one of us. God, help me. Help me to cast out.